Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman. I am mom to Skylar, who is an incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast four years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life, underscore Lori Hellman, and let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, could I ask a favor that you please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to Season 4 of Living the Sky Life. Happy Thursday, and thanks for tuning in to Living the Sky Life Season 4. My uh, guest today is the first guest of my new season, uh, and it's Rachel Lack. Rachel and I have been friends for the last couple of years, um, but as I put most most parents that I've met in my support groups and different avenues on social media, they are close friends of mine that I've never met. Uh, Rachel is a phenomenal person, phenomenal mother, and a huge advocate for all children on the spectrum. So I was very honored when she accepted my invitation to be a guest um, and actually my first guest for this season. Rachel Lack is a filmmaker and mother to an 11-year-old boy with autism. She lives in Arizona with her husband and son, Henry. She has been filming 10 autistic kids in Arizona and Massachusetts for the last seven years. Rachel is filming these kids all the way to adulthood. The documentary series is called Across the Spectrum. You can follow that journey on Facebook at Across the Spectrum The Doc. On Instagram, the account is called Purling Place, or you can visit their YouTube channel that is also under Purling Place to follow some of the videos and the progress of all of the children. I must apologize in advance for a few things. First of all, my voice. I just got over having COVID for the very first time in the last few years. I managed to escape it. Uh, so I still have a little bit of a hoarse voice and a cough. Um, so I apologize if that comes through in the episode. Also, there were um, a little bit of technical issues. I'm not sure if it was on Rachel's end or mine. Uh, I tried to edit out as much as I could, but there are inevitably some things that I'm just not that skilled to editing out. So again, my apologies if it affects um, your ability to listen to the episode, um, but Rachel shares quite a bit of interesting and um, impactful content. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation between Rachel and myself on Living the Sky Life. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. This is actually my first guest of season four. So I'm really excited to be back. I'm really excited to have my guest on today, who is Rachel Lack. So Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. I'm so glad to be here. Yay, I am too. We have been friends um, who've never met. We've been in the friends who've never met category for a couple yes. of years now. Um, so I'm so anxious to talk to you about your son, Henry, and then also your huge documentary project that you've been working on for quite a lengthy period of time. So we'll unpack all of that. So um, I guess to get started for people who maybe aren't familiar with you or your family, which I'm not sure how many people that is, because I think everybody knows you. But um, so can you share with us a little bit about Henry and just kind of how this whole autism and other diagnosis world entered your vocabulary and your everyday life? Great. Yes. Thank you. Um, so, oh gosh, I'm a documentary filmmaker and um, I've been doing documentaries for a while. And when, so I had Henry mm -hmm. and his diagnosis, man, um, going back into it. So he, yeah. was, he was, I could start from the beginning because he, he was very typical um, he had, um, he sat up typically at two months, four months, um, rolled over, or sorry, rolled over two months, um, sat up at four months, crawled at six months, started walking at 12 months, had his first words at 12 months. Wow. Um, had, um, he said, I heard mama at like 12 months and then he stopped saying mama 
I didn't hear. I heard that like a couple times. And then he had lots of words like he said blue for blues clues and data. Um, he had his first big word. He said Canada <laughs> at months and I was so shocked. I grew up in Toronto, Canada. So um, I was trying to get him to say that because it has a lot of good syllables that he could say like Canada and mm -hmm. he said it. And um, I wish looking back, I was more excited about him saying that, but you just think that they're going to continue to say words. And um, at about 20 months is when he started to regress. So going back at about 12 months, he had a food aversion. So he did not eat uh, anything that was not um, pureed. And it had to be the same type of pureed baby food. It was Earth's best baby food. We even tried putting in Gerber's like carrots in the jar of Earth's best carrots. And he knew it immediately and would throw it up. Like that's how big of a sensitivity he had. Um, he did not chew until he was two and a half. We started feeding therapy at 12 months. And so we kind of started our um, journey, even though autism was not even mm -hmm. said or done um, at that point. Um, but he did have the food aversion. And how did, how did you discover that the food aversion? Did he just stop eating foods or? Yeah, so he was never, he never latched either. So I pumped for seven months and gave him breast milk for seven months of me pumping. And, um, and he, he took formula, formula was fine. And then he switched to Pediasure and, um, we were trying different. I mean, he had his first like baby foods at six months and he was great with those and, you know, but then trying to get him to chew and eat other foods he wouldn't do. So, uh, we were like, and he would just throw it up or not chew. So we realized that like, we need to, we need to mm -hmm. get that checked out. And the doctor gave us a recommendation for a feeding therapist. And so we just tried, he just wouldn't, he would just throw it up or push it out or not put it in his mouth. So, um, even the feeding therapy was hard because, um, just touching the food, he almost didn't really want to do either. And I, I go back on Facebook memories and I'm like, he ate a mum mum, you know, at like two, like those baby mum mums are for like six months old. And he was just barely eating a baby mum mum at two years old, or he played with a little cracker, like a crumb and put it in his mouth and, Oh, and feeding was always hard. He would have to have, um, we would have to have toys to distract him. And he loved um, Blue's Clues at the time. So we had to have Blue's Clues playing while we fed him his his pureed baby food or um, yogurt. He did have eat certain types of yogurt, but they had to be very, they had to have no fruit in them, like nothing mm -hmm. that so <laughs> so he was distracted um, from like at least not seeing the food but he was yes. you know yeah. oh my goodness that so was hard <clears throat> it was it was hard like it and again this was all before autism even came in um it was about two at two years old when he, we went in for his well check that's when um because we were so concentrated on his food and his feeding that we didn't even realize that he kind of had started regressing. So I think it was his, his feeding therapist that was like, I haven't heard a word out of him. And she's also a speech therapist because a lot mm. of times they're mm -hmm. both. And she's like, I don't remember last time I heard something out of him. And I was like, you know what? He's only saying dada. Dada was the last word he, he lost. And he was, I'm like, he's only saying dada for everything. So at the two-year checkup, the doctor um, recommended that we go to a developmental pediatrician. And we actually got into one right away, like within the next month. That's but good. she did not think it was autism. <laughs> it was just um, OCD and anxiety. And she wanted to put my two-year-old on anxiety medicine. How would now, they possibly know he has anxiety at two? What is he anxious about at two years old? So, I don't know. And that, that's what I was like. And now he's got anxiety and OCD at 
at 11, you know, mm-hmm. he's got diagnosed with that. But at two, I was like, this is not right. And oh, and then she also said, like, he's not eating like a two year old, and he needs to eat like a two year old. And maybe you don't give him as much um, pediatrician because he's not hungry enough. And this is a developmental pediatrician, okay, that was telling us that we are, are that he's going to basically eat when he's hungry. And we're like, as soon as as soon as I heard that, I just my brain just turned off. I was like, I'm not listening to this woman anymore. Yeah. Um, I like the only nice thing is that she did tell us about early intervention mm-hmm. for Arizona air, inter, intervention. I didn't say that I'm, I live in Arizona right now. Um, and so that was a good thing. And she did tell us for another, uh, we made another appointment with a different feeding therapist and she was like, and she was a little bit far away and she's like, I don't think you need to see me. I think your feeding therapist is doing the right stuff. So I'm not sure why she wanted you to see me. And so we kept with our feeding therapy. And so at that point I was like, okay, it's not autism. And so as, as a new parent, I don't know anything about autism. So I, like this weight was lifted from mm-hmm. me because I'm like, oh, it's not autism, but talking, um, at the time he hadn't fully re- regressed yet. So it took about six months for him to fully regress. So he was still, he was still, um, loving to be around people and he was still kind of answering to his name not as much but he was still kind of doing that and he was still playing with toys and um it wasn't until the summer so this was december of 2013 so the summer of 2014 um is when we really saw him go into his own world he wasn't playing with other kids and he wasn't answering to his name. He was still nonverbal, you know, not no words. He was saying sound. So his stimming sound was E. So he was going E, E, E all the time. Um, and he was, I, I didn't notice it till after, but he was flapping his hands. So there were all these signs. And so we did we did um, get another evaluation, but it was it was going to take you know, six months for this one. And we were lucky that there was a cancellation. So in October of October 14th, 2014, Henry was diagnosed autistic. And so as a documentary filmmaker, I was looking for um, documentaries and movies about autism and things I could see. And I was not seeing anything from right when the when the child was diagnosed, mm-hmm. I was seeing interviews of parents from years later talking about what it was like at the document at, at diagnosis. And it's like mm-hmm. us talking right now. I can remember how I was feeling, but I can't get those same feelings that I was getting at the time because I'm a totally different mom yep. now than I was back then. Mm-hmm. So I, the day before um, his diagnosis, I put the camera on myself and my friend, Annie, I was talking to her on the phone. She wasn't living in the city at the time. So I was chatting with her on the phone as I was, um, talking about how I was feeling and I was getting into everything. Like I was crying. I was, I, you know, as, and I still remember looking back at the at the interviews, I can still remember how I was feeling because I was like, I don't want my son to be autistic because you hear about all of the kids being bullied that are autistic. I was like, I don't want him to be bullied. I don't want him to have a tough life. Mm-hmm. I don't want him. And at the time, I didn't know anything about autism. So I, you know, all the things that I had read or heard or seen on TV, it scared me. Mm-hmm. So even though we knew that he was autistic, there's still part of me in my head thinking, well, maybe it's just a speech delay. Maybe he's just doing this. Maybe there's something else. Like, even though we knew, there's still part of you that like kind of hopes that it's something different. And so when, um, when the diagnosis happened, I could not call my family. I had to text them because I was like, I'm gonna burst into tears. Mm-hmm. My husband, Steve, was the rock. 
like the doctor gave us like a few numbers to call. So he called those <clears throat> numbers. You don't get anything. You don't get any information, as you know. And you went through this long before me. So, like, you don't get any information about this. You That's know? what makes me so, sad is that I have, I did go through this long before you, and it's still the same. It always makes me so upset when I talk to parents like you. I mean, Henry's not a baby, he's 11, but. It, you yeah. know, it's, it's crazy to me that this is still happening. The diagnosis hasn't evolved as far as more kids are getting labeled autistic now, but we're still given nothing. And, and then it's like, thank God for all the social media connections we've all made. We didn't even have that. So I'm so grateful that we have that now. And so that new parents can, you know, seek out all of us and try to, you know, get answers that way. But you're right. It's just negative stuff that you used to read. And I don't know, because people weren't sharing. They didn't want, they were just hiding in their house. Like I'm the only one that has a child with this diagnosis. So I sure as heck, you know, don't want to, no one can relate to me. So I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. Sadly. It's, so, it's, it's so hard, you know? And so that's why I wanted to do the documentary. I wanted to show our progress and help other parents because I felt lost. I felt mm -hmm. very lost and, and alone. And so I then filmed Henry a few, I filmed myself. And again, I have lots of video of Henry. So I've been filming him his whole life. So that was not, I mean, I got the camera on her. I have the phone on him all the time. He knows when I have the phone out, he smiles or that, you know, or then he ignores it sometimes too. Um, and so I, I really interviewed myself three days after the diagnosis, I filmed myself and I couldn't last more than five minutes. I had to turn it off. I was like in tears and mm -hmm. emotional. And it's good to show that because parents need to know that it's okay to have those feelings mm -hmm. and okay, but we need to try and help our children as fast as possible, but it's still, it's, it's good to have those feelings and it's okay to yeah. have the feelings. I think people have, have, um, explained it or, or, um, just kind of described it as kind of a mourning period. And mo every parent that I've ever talked to has said that they learned a little bit later than they wish they had, that it's okay. You have to give yourself the grace to be able to just have a complete meltdown and to mourn the plans that you had. And some people think that is so it's kind of morbid and just kind of negative and whatever to say that we're mourning the child that we planned for, but it's, it's a fair statement because I don't know one pregnant woman who doesn't say all the things in her head for the next 18 years of their child's life. They're like, Oh, I wonder what they're going to like. And I wonder if they're going to be good at sports. And, and you, you follow them through their childhood and you are trying to help them with anything that they're interested in. We're no different. It's just, we have to rewrite what we thought motherhood and parenting was supposed to be like, because we have to take our kids lead. And it takes, it took me a long time to follow Skylar's lead instead of trying to make him adhere to whatever typical three-year-olds are supposed to do and all of the milestones that he was supposed to achieve. Um, it's really hard to like see them keep getting passed by and passed by. And, um, but <laughs> once you, once you grapple with that, I think you're, you're better off if you let them lead. Right. My, I still remember the first the on diagnosis day, um, we were home and Henry was having lunch and I was staring out the window at the kitchen in the backyard. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to be like a baseball mom or a soccer mom and that was that was one of the first things that I thought of because I was so excited to be doing this be the sports mom and taking him to sports and doing you know when when I knew he was a boy not that I wouldn't do that if he was a girl but when he was a boy I was mm -hmm. like oh I'm gonna take him to soccer and he's gonna play baseball like I'm a huge baseball fan so I love it and that was the first thing that I thought of, like, is he going to be able to play baseball or soccer? Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say now that he does. He plays it in Miracle League and Miracle That's awesome. is the best thing ever. And so I am still a baseball mom and like I get teary eyed thinking about it. Yeah. Because, um, like 
there's so much, I mean, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but it's, I'm feel so grateful that there's so many inclusive sports and activities that our kids can do. So, Mm -hmm. um, thinking back to that, um, mom, eight years ago, um, she was, she was sad and Mm -hmm. things are, are not sad right now. So that's good. I mean, it's, it's worth it. I'm sure it's very, um, emotional even now to go back and watch those, but it's so important. Like you said, to capture the feelings that are raw at the time, because you're right. I mean, I could go back and, and I know I was upset and went through all the feelings, but I don't honestly, until I wrote my book and dug out some of my old files and my old paperwork and questionnaires, I filled out that were all not applicables, you know, when he's three years old and he was like, you can skip all these questions because they're all no, no, no. And I'm like that brought the emotions back to be able to write about it in my book, but I had buried it. I mean, cause I want to just move on and I want to meet him where he is. And I didn't want to remember that stuff, but it's good to be able to go back and explain it now. You know, I tell people now to like, if you're new to the diagnosis, film yourself talking about how you're feeling, because I think this, it was, I'm not even not just good for other people to see, but for me to watch, as you're saying, going through all those, oh my gosh, that paperwork. Oh, filling Mm -hmm. out that paperwork was so like, you just want to, as a parent, you just want to talk about all the good things that that they're doing and you don't want to like have their worst day. You don't want to say your three-year-old isn't dressing themselves. Your three-year-old isn't doing this and this and this. And so I'll just remember filling out that paperwork and being so sad because I'm like, he's not doing this stuff right now, but yeah. You have to be honest (laughs) because if you're not, then you're not going to get any services. Then they'll be like, well, he's fine. Like if he can do all these things. So you you either lie and get nothing or you're honest and you just have a meltdown because it's so sad to like, know that they're so behind, but you'll catch up. Did you, um, so does, does Henry still have issues with food, certain textures of foods or things, or has he kind of been able to get through that? So he's much like, as soon as he started chewing, so at two and a half, he started chewing, Mm -hmm. we were sent him to a school, a Montessori school. And his teacher was amazing at the Montessori school. And they, she got basically got him to chew. We don't know why. Maybe it was that he was surrounded by 24 typical kids that Mm -hmm. were eating. So he was watching them or his teacher, Miss Hillary was amazing and got him to chew, but he started chewing. And even his, his feeding therapist was like, um, this is wonderful. We got to wait a month before we get too excited because they could, can start regressing, but he didn't, he just kept chewing and kept eating and he actually became a really good eater but then at six we so potty training at four was difficult um and he kind of was a little bit had gi issues constipation um so he would pee on the potty no problem but pooping on the potty no that was Mm -hmm. no um he never most kids squat when they're like in the in the diaper to go poop. Henry stood mm-hmm. on tippy toes to poop. Like he yeah. did not sit. So paces. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. we knew like Henry went to do like a, a run right before and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's his poopy run. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I talk GI all the time because that's a big issue in our family still with Skylar. So I get it. <laughs> so we went to the GI because we wanted to get him potty trained, but we wanted to make sure there was no issues mm-hmm. with his stomach for, um, and we found out that he has EOE, which is, um, oh my gosh, I can never, right. <laughs> um, but it is basically the esophagus is swollen from food allergies. So six years old, we found out that he, and the process of finding out what you're allergic to is really hard because you gotta take out food, put them back, and take very long. So the doctor started with dairy, eggs, and um, dairy, eggs, and 
and we took that out and he's already, we already knew he was allergic um, um, peanuts and tree nuts. So he's always been peanut and tree nut free. So then we took out eggs, gluten, and dairy. It only took a few years to figure it out. So he is dairy, gluten, egg, and all nuts free, which can be very difficult <laughs> finding foods. But the nice thing is, is that there are, um, there are a lot of companies that are free of like the top eight because he's in remission. And at this point in time, I don't really want to add anything back in because yeah. he's, he's doing good. So, um, and it is very difficult to take all those things out. And actually when we first took out gluten and dairy, we noticed that he was, even the school said, you know, he's paying attention more and he's doing better, you know, like they tell that, you know, something was changing with him. So maybe his starting to feel good, feel better. He's starting to feel better because the food that was causing the allergies and the discomfort was gone. So mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people do dairy and gluten-free diets when their kids are diagnosed. We did not try that at the beginning because really the only thing he loved was pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> so we did not want to take that. And that was a hard one when we, we realized we had to go gluten and dairy free and eggs. I mean, that's ev- that's a pancake right there. <laughs> gluten dairy. Yeah. Oh. So, um, but we do, we do now have um, a recipe that is gluten-free vegan of pancakes and so um, it, he really loved that and that was actually his first thing he had for on his talker on his communication device was pancakes back when he was four so it was like he loves pancakes so really hard for him to um for us to, to want to do that but we had to do that because it was a health issue so mm-hmm. we realized that he is doing better. So he's eating his even dairy and and eggs free. He's still eating pretty good. Um, so he does have a pretty good diet. He loves meat. He's carnivore. <laughs> loves uh. meat, which is which is good. Um, and vegetables. He his favorite vegetable is Brussels sprouts. What wow. kid loves Brussels sprouts? <laughs> so <laughs> it's nice that he is like he's not so picky. I mean, like you know, to be able to eat and eat a lot of things. Because if your diet, if you have to minimize what you give him based on the ingredients and stuff, it's nice that you have a lot of options. Um, you know, like meat that doesn't have gluten, dairy, all that stuff in it. So, well, that's good. So, d- as far as his communication goes, I know that he uses a talker, and I love seeing the videos of him. The the funny thing, or that I just so enjoy so much about your videos and about Henry is the kid is always smiling. I mean, he really is. I'm sure I don't live with him, so maybe there's moments where he's not, but he just seems happy about life all the time. He just has a little talker, and he's just like happy as can be. I think you were giving him the other day um, a uh, a sandwich, like a a. a I can't remember what it was. It was almond butter. I don't know what his sun butter and jelly. Yeah. Sun butter. Yeah. And he was just like happy as can be like it was a candy bar or something. I mean, he was just so happy and um, smiling and talking about it. So did he, um, as far as his, his communication device goes, did he ever regain some words or has he pretty much used the talker exclusively to communicate with you guys um, in the last few years? His, um, so he, he goes through stages where he has sounds and he, he got his talker when he was four and he was pretty good with it. And he, we, we only had, um, a few buttons on there for him of his favorite things. And I now tell people, um, don't do that. Put the whole thing on there. Let your kids explore the talker or the communication device, whatever you talk. Um, but back then they were like, just have them have choices and learn how to do it, which was good at the time. But, but that's not, he doesn't have his full voice if he doesn't have right. all the buttons there. And then yep. they always, a lot of times the therapists tell us that, you know, don't let them keep pressing on the buttons because they're stimming on it. But that was Henry learning. 
he was learning everything. And it wasn't until like a couple years ago that his vocabulary exploded. And we, I didn't stop him from stemming on it. And he mm-hmm. wasn't stemming on it. He was learning it. And now he knows every single button on his talker. We will be talking. And in the background, I will we'll hear a random word from Henry. And it's him saying something that we had said. And... <laughs> And I didn't even realize he knew where that button was. I don't know his talker very well. I should be the one exploring his talker, Um, but he knows every button. And it wasn't, so we got his talker at four and, you know, it took a few years and he still had some sounds and we were working on like him talking as well as, and we're always working on sounds for him you know, always, but, um, when he turned eight, so he turned eight, um, November of 2019 and he went through this progress, like explosion. And he was having so many words. Like he said up, he said, mama, he said, um, like a few other words. I can't remember at the time. And we're like, oh my gosh, 2020 is going to be Henry's year right? (laughs) This is what I'm thinking in November, 2019, right? This year is going to be Henry's year and he's going to be doing great. And he started hitting in November of 2019. He started hitting the baseball by himself at Miracle League. He passed lessons at swimming that he had never passed before. I mean, we were just in shock at how much it was like he was something opened and he was now understanding the world around him and he wanted to be around and not that he didn't before but just his progress just exploded and then of course oh and he tried skiing for the first time in january of 2020 and that's when i was like oh 2020 is gonna be his year (laughs) um (laughs) then we never know these things (laughs) then march hits right everybody knows covid and boom his sounds just almost immediately like in a couple weeks by april he's having no sounds whatsoever and i've been trying and because even his speech therapist would was coming to the house at the beginning because we were like we were being careful and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. we still had the speech therapist still came to the house and we had a another therapist that came forward four hours a week four hours a day for the first like couple months, but we knew her and we knew that she was safe and we were safe. So, um, but even with that, it, I, cause I think he, he's an only child. So he mm-hmm. was a lonely only child when he couldn't see any other kids. He thrives off of, even though he doesn't necessarily know how to play, he thrives off of other people. So his, his verbal just went away but his vocabulary on his talker exploded he started to say full sentences because that's what we were working on a lot was his talker and i was working on it all day long with him and so that's when his vocabulary exploded and he started playing with all the buttons we got a new talker probably i think in december of 2020 we got a new one it just had more buttons per page mm-hmm. and that's when he really explored it and now i mean he knows every word um he is now having so i have also heard that 11 is another explosion of uh, progress a lot of people mm-hmm. see that in kids eight and 11 8 9 11 and so henry in the last few weeks has been having conversations with his teachers about you know we just got a new dog a new puppy lucy Mm -hmm. Uh, we got her three weeks ago and um it's been the best thing for him he loves her so much she plays with him she's a chocolate lab and she is the cutest thing ever and Uh now he wants to talk about lucy at school Uh, my parents just got back from canada i saw that video and mm-hmm. he just wants to talk about Mimi and Bubba and he loves his, his other, his Steve's parents live in Scottsdale. So he sees them. So he's just now wanting to 
have more conversations, which is so, I, I, I mean, the car rides used to be so silent and it mm-hmm. was so sad because I was like, what's going on in your head? And now he'll randomly say words and he'll be like, fire truck because fire truck came by there's a tree or you know and I just love Mm -hmm. it because I'm like that's what I missed I didn't hear that I I just want to keep hearing even if it's just him repeating words that I say like Henry what did you do at school today and he'll say school and I'm like did you go on a swing and he'll say swing and you know even even if he's repeating stuff he's still repeating what I'm saying and he's understanding and he's trying to talk to me and that's our own conversation and I love it (laughs) I love that for you guys so much is it do you guys use Proloquo on his iPad or is it something similar Um, it's touch touch chat touch chat okay because um we tried Proloquo for a, a very short time with Skylar. He's just never been, and it might be his generation. I don't know. Um, when he was little, they didn't have YouTube and stuff. He's never been a, a child who would hold like an iPad or hold any of those things. He'll throw it as quick as we put it in his hands. So those just didn't work for us. Um, but what I like about those programs too, a lot of them is that they have like a picture of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but it'll say the words jelly underneath it or whatever. So they learn to spell and they learn, you know, the words to use. And, and I, I really believe that just even exposing Skylar to all that stuff, plus billboards and anything you're talking about, or they hear on the news, I mean, like kind of like Henry chiming into your conversations with his talker. That's, I think what people don't realize ever is that they're always listening And they're so underestimated because they can't verbally use words. People don't think that they are intelligent or that they understand the spoken word at all. They can't make sense of it. And until the last couple of years, when we started spelling with Skylar, that's the biggest question I get is how does he possibly know how to spell a word when he's never said a word? I'm like, how do you know how to spell things? You just learn, you just hear it, you see it it's the same thing because he doesn't say it. He still uses his finger to spell it. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's just, it's remarkable the way that their, their brain has to work for them in a totally different method than we're all used to. So it's just, I mean, I think they're smarter than us because they have to adapt to so many things and make it work. Well, when you look at a a communication device, like Henry has to go through different pages to find what he wants. Like he doesn't just say it. He has to go to like, now that we have 60 words on a page, it's much easier. He doesn't have to go through as many pages as I call it, but he Mm -hmm. still has to go through to find animals. He still has to go to the groups page and then hit animals and then hit whatever type of animals he wants. If it's a zoo animal or a farm animal or something like he has to hit that button to get to the open up that page and then yep. he can say what he wants so already they have to remember and know where all those are in all those different pages and Henry's mm-hmm. memory is crazy like he knows like honestly I, I can't say for sure but I would not be surprised if he had a photographic memory because his yeah it is crazy crazy what he remembers and where and he knows and again it's it is memory it's um as they say motor memories right so he knows mm-hmm. like, we don't switch buttons on him because he already knows like he he's much faster he knows where his hand's going already to which button he needs like he knows where every button is and already put so we would never switch a button on him because he he remembers yeah. exactly where it is on the page and stuff and but it's, uh, it is, uh, and I, I love, phenomenal. but um, one of the boys that we're following, um, Caleb, is doing RPM. So mm-hmm. I, I've been following, I've been watching Skylar doing it too. So we are, we are following another boy, Caleb, who has been doing really well with spelling and doing RPM. So Well, that's an awesome segue because, um, one of the big things I really want to talk to you about and, and, and what I was fascinated with from the moment I met you is, um, your documentary series. Um, you said in the beginning, obviously you're, you have a career in documentary filmmaking. And, um, so your idea for, um, across the spectrum, the doc, um, 
it follows the life of seven kids in Arizona and now three kids in or three kids in Massachusetts as well. Right. And, um, from there now, is it from all of their diagnosis to present day or when you started the film where they're kids at different levels of, of their diagnosis? They were all in different, most of them were all kind of at the very beginning. So when I started filming Henry, I realized Again, I didn't know much about autism at the time, but then six months in, I realized like, I can't do a documentary about autism and only show Henry. Right. It's a spectrum. I need to find other kids to film. So I, two of those children are from a, I was found um, some moms in a support group and we were all newly, had newly diagnosed kids. So two of the kids, Savannah and Sebastian, they were um, from moms that I met in the support group. And then I found, um, so they were both young too, uh, around Henry's age. And then I found two in another um, another mom's group on Facebook. Um, that was Brendan and Connor. And Connor is our oldest. He is going to be 13 in December. Wow. Okay. So um, he's just two years older than, than Henry. And, mm-hmm. um, but he'd been on the, on the journey longer. And then Brendan is actually younger than Henry, but he got diagnosed at 13 months. So he was already years into the diagnosis and um, we started filming him right when he turned three. So um, I learned a lot from Carrie, who's um, Connor's mom, and Gina, who is um, Brendan's mom. I learned a lot from them just from talking about their experience at the beginning and then filming. So when I started filming these kids, um, we didn't know what we wanted to do. Um, And we just started, we filmed them once. And then I said, you know, do you mind if we come back in like six months and film? Like, we're not sure what we want to do with this film. And they were like, sure, you know, that's fine. So, so then we started filming them every six months and the progress, especially at the beginning, the beginning, you see a lot of progress. So we're not, I don't think we haven't done, we've started doing in-person updates again this month and we're going to do in the next couple months um so we're not sure how much progress we're going to see or difference or what we're going to do now but at the beginning you saw so much progress in the kids and every time we saw them new things were happening they were doing and they started getting really excited to see us as much as i was and annie who's my who's filming it she like we're excited to see them and i want to talk to them and now the kids are getting old enough that maybe we'll start chatting with them more and that's what the updates are going to be from their perspective and I would love to as they get older have them start taking the camera and filming their life and filming what's um what they are thinking about and what autism is to them and you know um because I would really love to know from their perspective because we do have some kids that are very verbal and know that they're autistic and know that they're different and what what's going to be what's happening in their life and how do they feel and i would love to do that so we are going to follow them all the way up until they're adults into adulthood we don't know how oh wow okay how far into adulthood we're going to film them but we are going to and right now we have seven years of footage that we're going through and so we're hoping to have we're starting season one, so we're hoping to have season one done um, sometime in 2023. But it's a lot of work to go. go I bet. But we do have COVID. We did have a COVID series because COVID was so, it was so important to show how our kids were affected by COVID and the shutdown and the lockdown. And some kids lost therapy, some kids kids still had their therapy, some kids had to be online and some, you know, so we wanted to show the struggles and what's happening with the kids. So we do have a COVID series on our YouTube channel right now. So that's always, that was, that was one thing I was going to ask you. Um, 
I, I guess I didn't realize you had the YouTube channel. Um, I should have known that, but um, what, what is your kind of hope or plan with this documentary to, um, you know, release parts of it? I mean, it'd be amazing if it could be on Netflix or something like for the mass masses to see. Our, um, our, yeah. Our goal is to obviously have it streaming somewhere. Um, yeah. But at this point in time, I'm just, we're just trying to build. So we do have a, a Facebook page um, across the mm-hmm. spectrum of the doc. And yep. I'm just trying to build the audience there because maybe um, in when we get the first season out, we can show, send them to the streaming, the mainstreaming channels like Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or, yeah, you know, and show them like, we do have a following. Um, I would love to get it out to not just the people that follow us, but for everybody, because I mm-hmm. think it's important. We're going to, the first season's definitely going to be the first, the first year of diagnosis and what happens and the signs you look for and the process of getting diagnosed. And um, so that's going to be the first year and trying to get services from your states because we're, we're following both Arizona and Massachusetts. And so we can see the difference in the two states states and mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize at the time that Arizona and Massachusetts are kind of the better states for services so <laughs> I would love to at some point in time talk to people in other states that have more difficult time getting services um as well. well I've got like four or five episodes on that that I recorded uh earlier this year so <laughs> you can use those as a starting I will, point I will, I will, it I is will. crazy how how Oh my gosh. I mean, that's like, as I said, it was three episodes we did in a row with different moms from each different States. And it's insane how different it is and how just so many States are getting it wrong. There's very few that can actually say, we actually have a lot of services. California's one. And then yeah. I have heard, you know, up and down about Arizona. It just depends on who you ask, I think, and what they need. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with Arizona is, is that you have to prove that your child will need will basically need to be in a, a a care facility, you know, in order to get services. And it's really like, it's crazy to me that like, why wouldn't the state want to help a child that is needs less needs now? So then maybe right. you don't need to help them later on. Like, yeah, why would you want to help those kids? Like, obviously help everyone like Henry needs has lots of needs. He we need to help him and kids like him, but also help those kids that are, that have need less at, at age three. Like we have, we're following Brendan Schroeder who was diagnosed at 13 months and now he is dancing and he is acting. He's in the Darman videos. People have seen him in those. Um, he is doing amazing things because he got all the services when he was younger and I, that's not going to be just because he got the services doesn't mean that he would be where he is right um but for him getting the, but it helps <laughs> getting the earlier intervention like he was nonverbal until he was four and now and he has apraxia of speech which a lot of our kids have apraxia henry is one of them so you know there are words that he still needs he still has speech therapy to work on his speech but it's amazing to watch him mm-hmm. um i can't wait for his update because i can't wait for all the kids updates but yeah like he like he is definitely what you would see show as needs early intervention like how great early intervention is like looking at mm-hmm. him and his progress and i mean all the kids progress have been amazing and I love all these kids like they're my own you know I bet I'm sure you have a bond with them at this point yeah well and it's kind of nice because when you started out you didn't really know it's not like you were auditioning kids at different levels of the spectrum but it sounds like out of all of the kids that you're following that there are so many different levels of the spectrum that they're on which is great for all parents to see because you know, I think from the beginning, even you were talking about just no resources. And I think all parents really need or would love to see is somebody remotely similar to their child. You know, I, I tend to gravitate more to families with nonverbal children. And now I'm kind of starting to get, 
a lot of acquaintances with people who have 25, 30 year olds. I talked to a mom the other day who's going to be on the podcast. Her son's 49 okay. and he's nonverbal. And so it's like, you know, those are the people that I have a ton of questions for still, because we're always still seeking answers and seeking support and resources yeah. and all the things that yet to have yet to come for us. So um, your documentary is Lori, I that. might be talking to you later about puberty because that's where <laughs> that scares me. It's coming. It's coming. Henry's 11 and it's coming up. And so I, I may be, I may be uh, messaging you about it. Absolutely. Well, you know, the one thing I can guarantee you'll get from me is you will never hear me say anything negative about like, oh, just you wait. This is horrible because it's not, it's not, it's just like every other thing with our kids. It's not the same. Skylar actually was fine. He, you know, maybe he was a little moody, but so is my daughter. And she, you know, she's 17. She went through it. I feel like more, you know, worse than Skylar did because he's nonverbal. He already was doing some of the things that, you know, showed he was frustrated or whatever. He did not, you know, grow into this beast overnight who punched holes in walls and all that stuff. And I think with Henry's disposition, he seems very similar to Skylar and that he was always kind of giggling and smiling and laughing and they just don't turn overnight and yeah. become this raging, you know, pubescent boy. <laughs> so hopefully for you, that won't be the case. Which but... is what you, which what you hear stories like. Oh yeah. Of. So like, that's what I'm like nervous about. He's actually, Henry is on some medications because he has done some recently done some like health self-harming stuff, but he's mm-hmm. overall like such a amazing happy boy and that's what I, and he's a sensory seeker so he loves to squeeze and hug same as Skylar <laughs> and I hope that never happens but sometimes like he he's just grabbing onto my hair and he does yeah. not he's not doing it on purpose but like I'm just thinking about a like an 18 year old like Skylar uh-huh. you know doing the squeezes and um but it, it's well I'm the other thing too, is that, um, I mean, you're kind of tiny in stature as well. I, I mean, I'm definitely very short. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Skylar's not huge either. He's five foot four. He's like 125, 130 pounds. He's tiny. So I think that makes a difference too, because a lot of the stories I've heard about people who really have raging hormones, again, it's different for everyone, but they're larger. They're like six foot or six one, or they just have this huge growth spurt. Luckily, I guess for us, Skylar just didn't have that opportunity because his parents are short. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, Henry is little too. Henry's like mm-hmm. the size of an eight-year-old. He's going to be 11. Mm-hmm. He's 11. And he is the size of like an eight-year-old. He's five, he's four, four foot three and yeah. 65 pounds right now. So he's, <laughs> he's little and they, uh, we even saw an endocrinologist and she was like, well, everything looks good. Uh, mm-hmm. and he might just be five, three. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm yeah, that okay with good. him being five, three, five, five, whatever. I'm five, five. So I would be fine with him being shorter than me. You know, I'd yeah, be, I would be fine with that, but that's easy to manage. <laughs> well, um, I guess kind of along that note too, like, what are the things I know you said he loves baseball, um, and doing those kind of things with, with kids and friends what brings Henry the most joy? Because like I said, he smiles so much and he has such a beautiful smile. Um, I just, I would love to know what you two do together or what kind of things you enjoy that make him happy. Oh my gosh. Well, he loves trains. He's always loved trains since. Oh, wow. Okay. A toddler. And um, so he, his thing, happy places are the train park, and uh, we have a train park by our house that has like a train you can ride. And then it has a model train room that has like three sections of model trains from different um, train clubs that put it together and you can walk through and it's amazing. Henry loves it. And he'll watch those model trains for like half an hour. He, YouTube is always trains. And, um, but he's also my adrenaline junkie. He loves to go fast. He loves roller coasters. (laughs) And I am adrenaline junkie. I have gone bungee jumping. I've gone skydiving. 
Mm-hmm. I am a traveler. I've been to all seven continents. I have um, been to 35 countries. I love to travel, love to go. And I think Henry's going to be my travel buddy. He oh, that's not, so cool. He does not. He loves hotels. He loves to sleep in hotel beds. And he, <laughs> I. it's amazing because we've been traveling with him. I grew up in Toronto, Canada. I live right. in Arizona now. So we always go back every summer. So Henry's always been on a plane since he was like three months old. And so we were lucky with that. So he he doesn't mind, although he's the longest flight. He, he has been to Hawaii and that was a seven hour flight. So, right. Um, and he was two, that was before his diagnosis. Um, and so he, the long flights scare me a little bit with him, but it's a four and a half hour flight to um, Toronto. And then we just went to visit my sister in Boston and that's from Arizona. That's a five hour flight and a six hour flight home. So he did, and he did great. Um, so maybe going to like Europe or something when he's mm-hmm. there will be good. And I, I was like, I said to my husband, I was like, Henry can travel. We can travel the world two weeks at a time, you know, cause two weeks, mm-hmm. seems to, two weeks seems to be his limit of being away. So I'm like, we can go on a two week trip here, two week trip there, two week, you know, and, uh, and he can be my travel buddy. And I would be so happy with that. So we do. I feel like that. That's so great. And that's just yet another example of adjusting your expectations. And the minute they find a communication method that is works for them, it opens up such a different relationship. Like you said, I mean, those car trips in silence, I still live those. And that's really hard. I just want to know so badly how his day was. If he has a headache, you know, I'd, I'd give anything for him to be able to push a button and tell me something, but I can only imagine just sightseeing with Henry and experiencing the world around you and how many buttons and pages he's going to scroll through, but just to tell you like, Oh mom, look at that. Yeah. Look at the Eiffel tower. Look at this. Oh God, he's going to remember all of it. You know, I tear, I'm tearing up thinking about that, but yeah, I mean, so I, I say this all the time. Thank God for technology and yeah. have this because he used PECS before, which is the picture exchange. Right. Cards we did too. People. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, he was going through books like, to find his thing. And it was just a pain to carry around a binder. Yeah. And he also had one like around his neck. And he, yes. Smaller one with one used as on a regular basis. What if there was a word there that wanted to say that wasn't on? Yeah. And so it's so nice to have that um, device that he can, like an iPad, he carries around an iPad mini that has all the words that he needs in the world. Yeah. And he can tell us anytime, you know, and so I tell everyone, start them young. Um, it was life changing for us. Um, the minute that Henry was able to tell us that he wanted pinks for the first time, I cried. I absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I tell everyone, um, they're never too young, a year and a half, two years old, even if um, you're modeling it for them and they can see you press the buttons, you get the device as soon as you can. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, as parents, we catch backlash for every single thing we say and do anyway, but, um, I couldn't agree more and, and it's okay if they don't take to something right away, try something else and then go back and revisit it. Pex just never worked for us because, you know, I said the same thing to his, um, teachers. I'm like, well, if you're giving him a choice between two things and he doesn't want either of those things, then it's not teaching him anything. He needs options. And, you know, sadly, like I said before, the the talkers didn't work for us because he won't hold on to it. He doesn't have the motor ability to be able to hold it. But that's the one thing that I had never heard of spelling before. So when it came into our lives, I was very, very hesitant. I'm like, ah, he's not going to do this. But um, just seeing the vocabulary that's in him, I, I hate that we waited so long. I just didn't know about it. Um, and I don't think it's been out that long, but, um, 
you know, I just, I, I'm like you, I always encourage everyone to continue to try stuff over and over again until it sticks. And it doesn't matter what people say. Well, if you give them a talker, they'll never learn to talk. Well, you don't know that it only assists them with their words. And if they hear it on the talker a bunch of times, you can even sound it out with them and still work on, like you said, you work on with Henry, you know, you work on sounds and still kind of trying to verbalize things, but they just need to understand that they are not um, doing anything wrong by using a talker. You know, I just, oh, I get so frustrated. People are like, no, don't let them do that. They're never going to learn to speak. Yeah, (laughs) no, the more the vocabulary they learn and the more that they are going to speak, like the more ways to communicate. Well, um, I just, I can't wait to see the documentary, you know, piece together and and how it all comes out because it's so needed. I mean, this is such an important project that you spearheaded and and are working on. Um, I just think that so many families can benefit from seeing their life in in other, you know, families' eyes. Um, And and it's great for, for, as a resource for families, you know, outside of our own immediate family, like for grandparents and aunts and uncles and people that you know, hear that their family member is diagnosed, but they don't really understand what that means. And for too many years, all we have are the Rain Man, um, you know, comparisons and things like that that are just not accurate. And um, for the majority of the population, so it'll be really nice to have a reference for doctors to give to families or for families to give to their, you know, external family members yeah. to just get a better understanding of what it is to to parent and to be a caregiver for someone on the spectrum at varying degrees of severity. So um, it's so important. I appreciate you doing that and taking so much time out of your life to um, to put that out there for everyone. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, to wrap up here, I guess, you know, you're obviously very open sharing your emotions and, and all of your parenting journey, all the years um, since Henry was diagnosed with EOE and autism. Um, and so I guess I just wonder, Again, I get this question asked of me a lot, so I like to ask it of my guests too. If you could go back to yourself when you were videotaping those first three days or four days after the diagnosis and all the feelings that you were feeling, now that you're eight years ahead of that, is there anything you would say to yourself, um, whether you would change something or you would um, say something supportive to, to to yourself in that moment that might help another family that's just getting started in their journey? Yeah, I mean, that's always the great question. And I, I think back to that a lot because, um, but, I, you know, I would, and I asked this a lot to the, the parents that I interview as well. And I would say, I would say to myself, Henry is still the same as he was yesterday or the day before he was diagnosed. He is who he is supposed to be. And I would say, you know, keep going because where he is now is all because of all the different things that you have done. Just, just keep at it. Even when you think that you're doing the wrong thing, you are on the right path because he is where he is now because of all the different things you tried or you, you did, um, just keep at it and you may have to also follow your gut because you may have to fire therapists or do that you know we didn't have to do that a lot it was like I think once or twice but follow your gut if something is not working try something new so that is perfect advice I agree (laughs) and I think we you know can bring it right back to the very beginning when you said, you know, you were sitting at the kitchen table, looking out the back window and thinking about, you know, being a a baseball mom and a soccer mom and that you would never get those experiences, but continuing to introduce Henry to every other thing in life, like any other parent would, he plays baseball now and you could not be more proud of him. And I'm sure he could not be more proud of himself. He loves it. And he's having the best life ever. And it's because of you pushing and teaching him and never stopping. So um, kudos to you. And I would tell people, this is what I, I say, because try, just try something, just try it because you never know what your child's going to like. Like we just started 
top soccer, which is a soccer buddy. And I thought, oh my gosh, Henry's not going to like soccer. He's not going to understand it, but he just loves being out with the other kids. Like he doesn't, he doesn't run and try and kick the ball into the goal. He just want, wanders out around with the other kids and his buddy. And he loves it. He loves being there. So I would tell people, just try new things. I know it'll be hard and it's, you'll be nervous about it, but you can always leave and you can always, you know, not return if it's not working out, but you don't know what your kids are going to like until you try it. Right. And parents that say, you know, they they feel isolated and, um, you know, they're alone and they kind of feel like they're stuck in their home and they can't go anywhere. Why? Like go somewhere, let your child prove to you that maybe this wasn't a good option. You know, maybe they don't do well at church. Maybe they don't do well, but you'll never know until you go. And I, I promise you from the, the years of me doing that exact thing, staying home because I don't want to disturb anyone else in public if we go to a place or, you know, have him be disruptive. I'm more worried about it than the people around me. Mm-hmm. There have been less people that have said something to me like, could you ask your child to stop clapping, you know, during this whole thing. No one has ever said that to me. No one has ever really stared me down, made me feel bad. I mean, it happens on occasion, but I think I make myself feel worse than anybody could make me feel. And that's not okay. You should never shelter your, your child because you're worried about what other people think they need to be exposed to things. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Rachel, thank you so much. I will link up um, the ways people can follow you, um, particularly follow the documentary Across the Spectrum, the doc. Um, so people can keep up with that on your YouTube channel, okay. um, on your Facebook page. Um, and, and yeah, I just appreciate your time. And I, I love the videos and I'm going to be watching always all the uh, updates about Henry. Thank you, <laughs> you so need- much. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. And I love following you and Skylar too. So I love seeing all your Dates, especially with um, RPM. So I'm following him. <laughs> with <that. laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I will talk to you later. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.